The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Sportbox Live from London, Abu Dhabi and Madrid. Here are your headlines today. Alibaba is on pace to smash last year's Singles Day sales record, netting $23 billion in the first nine hours of the star-studded event. Hong Kong's morning commute descends into chaos after police open fire on anti-government protests, leaving one demonstrator in critical condition. Uh, here in the Middle East, Saudi Aramco announces it will sell up to half the percent of shares to retail investors in its IPO, but stays quiet on the size of what could be the world's largest ever share listing. Deadlock in Spain, four elections in four years, but still no outright majority as the far-right Vox Party becomes the Spanish Parliament's third largest force. Alibaba's singles day sales are on track to top last year's record $30.8 billion, with another 10 hours still left to run on the 24-hour Chinese shopping event. A quick look at uh, the current rates that we've seen. You can see ticking up on the boards there. And uh, let's get to Arjun to, to break it down for us as he's watching the clock and watching the numbers for the 11.11 event. Arjun, it is a star-studded event on the calendar Big names like Taylor Swift joining in. But just give us a sense because investors have been looking for just how strong Chinese consumption is right now with the trade war waging and a slowdown taking place in China. Do these numbers today from Alibaba give us a sense about the health of the Chinese consumer or is it really just about connecting on a big technology event? And Alibaba's been quite successful at that in recent years. Yeah, I think you can only read so much into the numbers on Singles Day because when you look at the absolute mammoth discounts that are being offered across products ranging from iPhones through to vacuum cleaners, cosmetics, household goods, you know, there's a lot of attraction for Chinese buyers. So, you know, you can get a sense that they are willing to buy and they're happy to buy. And as you can see, that number continues to, to tick up with several hours to go. Very likely Alibaba will smash through that record uh, this afternoon here in China. But also, if you look to Alibaba's last Q3, numbers, you saw a very strong rise in revenues and that gives you a sense that the Chinese consumer, despite concerns about the slowing economy and the impact on the Chinese consumers, still remain resilient. And the other thing you're seeing as well is the growth in spending and consumption from some of these smaller cities in China. That's something uh, that actually Alibaba has flagged up uh, quite a lot in the last couple of quarters and, and we're expecting to see strong growth in their participation in this singles day. Let me just come back to this event because this is the biggest shop single shopping day in the world and this number behind me right now is the gross merchandising value or, or the or the basically value of sales of goods through Alibaba's platforms they're just roughly uh, about 16 uh, billion renminbi away from smashing through the record that they set last year with several hours ago they got off to a very quick start and I want to give you a, a sense of what Chinese consumers are buying too there's a big focus on imported goods those are very usually uh, usually very expensive here uh, but they've been heavily discounted so those attractive uh, discounts are, are drawing consumers towards them 
Items like food, supplements, cosmetics, milk powder are doing very well. And there was a bit of concern coming into this about how U.S. brands were faring, would fare given the U.S.-China trade tensions, whether there'd be any resentment towards some of these U.S. brands. We're not seeing that uh, at all. Uh, U.S. brands or Chinese consumers are buying U.S. brands. They're the second most popular country that brands are coming from. So uh, a lot of resilience from the American brands here as well. Uh, the iPhone is among some of the most popular uh, products being uh, sold here on the platforms uh, today as well. And this is a, a festival that continues to involve. You mentioned the star-studding names. Last year, Alibaba put on a huge gala with a headliner, Taylor Swift. Over here, you've actually got a number of, of internet celebrities doing live streaming as well. I'll give you a bit more of a sneak peek later on in the show about how that works. But it's become somewhat more of an entertainment event or, or what they sometimes dub shop attainment here in China. Very different, perhaps, to how we shop over in the West on sites like, like Amazon as well. Just want to give you some of the expectations from the market about singles day analysts are expecting a final figure of about 37 billion dollars in gmv when we hit midnight uh, tonight that is slower growth though than in previous years i will point that out but that could be perhaps you're seeing a maturing of this event as that total figure gets bigger and bigger each year it's very difficult to maintain that heavy growth but there's also increasing competition here in china from the likes of jd.com and pinduoduo which are also putting on their own mammoth sales as well which is obviously uh creating some stiff uh, competition with Alibaba and consumers perhaps looking around and shopping for the bar bargains. Well, look, I'll be here for the next few hours. I'll be coming to you guys with further updates, particularly if we smash through that target in the next few hours. Guys, back to you. We're watching that number, Arjun. I want to ask you what this means for investors coming up to a share sale because this is a company that's looking to tap investors again and what is a, a quite challenging environment. We've seen a couple of failed IPOs, a couple of uh, issues where investors are a bit uh, cautious about adding to risk. 15 billion is the number that they're seeking through Hong Kong this month. When you say competitions come into the market on a day like this, can competition touch the sides of Alibaba given that this is their event? Well, you're seeing actually companies like JD.com, for example, also mounting se several tens of billion dollars worth of sales on this day as well. So you are seeing increasing competition from Alibaba, and that means they're having to spend more on, on investing and reinvesting. And actually, if you look quarter by quarter, you're seeing that capex spend continue to rise by Alibaba. But why the market and why you're seeing their shares up near 30% this year is because the market's happy with how they're spending. They're maintaining that spending as a percentage of revenue at a very steady pace. And the market realizes that for Alibaba to stay ahead of the competition, they need to invest. And so you look at this IPO and there's been a speculation over the past year, or will Alibaba do it? Will they not? And they've been on and off pausing. Of course, the, the political environment in Hong Kong has made that very difficult as well. But the Wall Street Journal's latest report suggests that it's back on the cards, perhaps after this singles day, looking to raise between 10 and 15 billion dollars of funding. The thing is, Alibaba doesn't really require that money. They can be pretty patient here because, you've, again, you're seeing revenues grow plus 40% on the quarter each each year, uh, each quarter, sorry. And so they have enough free cash flow. They have enough um, to invest. So they don't necessarily need that money. But you are, I think, if they do do this, you'll see them invest in areas like food delivery and the cloud business, which are often seen as big parts of this growth story going forward. For now, guys, back to you. Arjun, thank you very much. Uh, Arjun, that was joining us from Guangzhou. Well, let's uh, push on and bring in our next guest, Andrew Collier, Managing Director, Orient Capital Research. Andrew, in your view, to what extent uh, should Singles Day and the success of this event serve as a barometer for the health of the Chinese consumer? 
I don't think it's terribly relevant. Obviously, growth is always good and is a in positive indicator for the economy. But you're talking about a sector that's growing at around 20 percent, uh, and they're essentially taking market share from the uh, offline shops. So, uh, and retail sales in general are, in fact, trending downwards. The last data we have is 7.8%, which is quite low historically. So, overall, I think it's always good that, to see growth in a company of this size. And certainly the online sector is an important part of the future of Chinese uh, economy. But I wouldn't say it's the bellwether quite as much as people are making it out to be. Now, part of their strategy in terms of uh, gaining sales for this event is to reach it out into the demand from uh, tier three, tier four, tier five cities. So beyond the top tier cities there. Uh, based on what you're seeing, how is the health of those parts of the Chinese economy relative to those tier one and tier two cities? Well, that's an extremely important question because I'm firmly convinced that the weakness of China is essentially in the smaller, what they call the tier three and tier four cities. Um, those areas have been starved of cash because of the cramping down on the shadow banking sector in the past year or so, year and a half. And there's a lot of uh, rising uh, defaults in the property market in other areas. So uh, I would think that, the, the, and some of the GDP data is showing that certain industrial heartland provinces like Jilin up north are down in the 1% to 2% GDP growth. So overall, I would say that the tier three and tier four is not doing terribly well. And I would love to see some data from Alibaba that would prove me otherwise, but I doubt they would release that. Now, I, I want to pick up on that point there in terms of default risk. When we look at the uh, Chinese corporate bond market, I know in your latest research, you, you put out a stat there, $975 billion. That's the amount of Chinese corporate U.S. dollar denominated bonds outstanding. Uh, how concerned should investors be about rising default risk? Well, that's an, another interesting question. I mean, the government is pushing defaults in the courts because they, they would like to have a regular system for handling problems in the economy. Um, investors in the West are, in fact, increasing their exposure to onshore renminbi bonds uh, because the indexes, like the Bloomberg Barclays Index, is going to increase and add another 120 to 150 billion dollars of foreign money into the Chinese economy. And um, I fully think that that is uh, understandable given the growth in China, but I do think there's a huge risk because of the potential for capital flight, uh, defaults, and all of a sudden all these big fund managers like uh, Vanguard and the rest of it are going to say, we're going to pull our money out and, and then uh, cause a lot of problems within the domestic economy. So I, I think it's, there should be a little more caution than what we're seeing. Andrew, I want to ask you about the relevance of some of the data we've just seen crossing in the last uh, couple of days. We've had uh, the CPI number up 3.8%, suggesting that there's been an impact from pork prices rising, but also potentially a spillover impact on wages. At the same time, when we have seen an element of strength in the consumer today with a singles day in China, what do you make of the elements and whether authorities have any room to loosen the purse strings at this point to offset a trade war? Well, I don't think the consumer is, in fact, doing all that well. Um, the CPI is up mainly because of pork prices, and they tend to go up and down cyclically. Uh, a lot of pigs die, and all of a sudden prices go up. So I think that is going to turn around. Uh, the PBOC is concerned about releasing more cash, but they're concerned also not just because of inflation, but because they don't want to see another bubble economy that they created uh, 10 years ago and they're still dealing with now. Uh, so they've been very cautious about opening the floodgates for, for money. They're trying to do targeted easing through infrastructure projects in other areas, which isn't working terribly well. So uh, they're kind of caught in a hard place. 
Talk to us about tariffs, then, because the latest is that the president, uh, United States President Donald Trump, has not agreed to roll back on tariffs. That's been one of the key demands for the Chinese as they're looking at fresh tariffs coming into place in December. Do you think this is necessary for the Chinese economy at this point? And what's your view on when a trade war will actually cease at some point? Well, I was in Washington uh, three weeks ago talking to a number of people, and there's definitely a very dark attitude towards uh, Beijing. So whatever happens with the negotiations, it's going to be a, a tough slog between the two countries going forward. As far as the tariffs themselves, I mean, China would like to see them released because, of course, it's impacting their small business. On the other hand, I know that they've prepared alternate scenarios. They're probably assuming that this is going to take a while to be resolved. And in fact, they're pushing much harder on infrastructure spending and a lot of other stuff that's not really trade related. So uh, they're, they're prepared for a long term battle and they're not going to necessarily give in that easily just to assuage a very confused White House. All right, uh, Andrew, thank you very much uh, for weighing in. Please stay with us. We'll be out to you more for more in Hong Kong shortly. We're going to take a short break now, but stay with Squawk Box. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Hong Kong police opened fire on protesters during today's morning commute, leaving one man in a critical condition. These latest demonstrations come after three pro-democracy lawmakers were arrested on Saturday. Emily is in Hong Kong with more. Emily, just talk us through the latest developments and how serious they are at this point. Well, currently we're seeing, uh, uh, Karen, that uh, the Central Business District in Hong Kong is uh, in lockdown with many protesters out on the road. Earlier during the lunch hour, about two hours ago, uh, there was a tear gas being fired. And uh, just outside Landmark, which is a home to department store of uh, many high-end luxury brands. LVMH has a number of their shops in there, Christian Dior, uh, Loewe, just to name a few to give you an idea. Now, these live pictures, of course, coming to us from Now TV uh, is also in the Central Business District. This is a Connaught Road just across from the Mandarin Oriental, if you're familiar with Hong Kong. Uh, not too far from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and the building with the circular windows there uh, is Jardine House. Uh, not too far from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and I bring that up because we're seeing quite extensive sell-down in the Hong Kong market. In the afternoon session here, uh, we're down about 750 points, last traded at 26,904, and that is near the intraday low. Uh, sentiment getting hit by the latest developments from today. Now, we saw 
protests uh, from Friday last week when protesters were mourning the death of Chao Tsi Lok, that is a Hong Kong University of Science and Technology student uh, who died after falling from a height in a car park on Friday morning. Uh, so protesters were angered by that and uh, the, the energy coming from that event uh, spilled over into the weekend. We had violent protests uh, that uh, rolled over from Saturday to Sunday and then into t- into this morning. Uh, this is what we're part of. Uh, what was a planned citywide strike that uh, this morning, uh, some uh, interesting development of events where we had at 7.24 outside an MTR station on the eastern side of Hong Kong Island in Saiwan Hall, police opened a live round. Two people were hurt, they say. Uh, they were unconscious when being sent to hospital. Uh, but uh, the confirmation that we have from police is that a 21-year-old male suffered a gunshot wound this morning and is in critical condition. No other information we have at this point, uh, the police will hold their daily press conference in less than two hours from now, four o'clock Hong Kong time. Uh, so you can be sure that we will get more information uh, when that happens. But uh, the pictures that you are looking at, uh, as I mentioned, Connaught Road, uh, just outside on the left, is the Mandarin Oriental Hotel nearby the uh, Jardine House, which is a business, a commercial building, and not too far from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange as well. Uh, The MTR has suspended its service in a number of train stations today. Uh, Earlier this morning, we had some protesters start a fire within uh, a train compartment. We had vandalism at numerous train stations and objects being thrown on the tracks resulting in the fact that uh, the MTR could not uh, uh, safely run their trains. And so a number of trains and the stations had to be uh, closed today. A number of universities as well also uh, called for no classes today. That's eight out of the 10 universities in Hong Kong. It started with HKUST, where that student uh, was going to school due to mass scale malicious vandalism. And a result of that, they canceled class. Uh, following in suit, CUHK, that is Chinese University of Hong Kong, because station, or I should say university station, was closed. Uh, so that it makes it very, very difficult for students to get to class when the MTR station right by the school is closed. Uh, Poly University saw tear gas this morning, uh, similar to that uh, nearby the scenes of the pictures that we were just showing you in Landmark in the central business district here in Hong Kong. So the protests continuing, rolling over from the weekend, and we're going to be continuing to watch this story, Karen. And and as you know, we had uh, a man that was uh, wounded from gunshot, live rounds being fired this morning due to protest. Back to you guys. Emily, thank you very much for bringing us the latest developments on the ground there in Hong Kong. Uh, Juliana, your tracking some of the market reaction in Hong Kong certainly sent a bit of a, a risk of ripple through markets. Absolutely. A pretty strong negative reaction in Hong Kong equities. The Hang Seng is down more than 2.4%, so leading the way lower across, a- across Asia. But as you can see here, it's red across the board. The Shanghai Composite and the Shenzhen, the mainland Chinese markets, are trading lower in the overnight session as Arjun just outlined for a singles day, a big focus in China today as we're set to break last year's record when it comes to sales for uh, Alibaba. And we got that inflation data out overnight from China as well that Karen highlighted earlier. Producer prices in China fell by the most in more than three years in October. In contrast, though, consumer price inflation, that has soared to an eight-year high. So a bit of a mixed picture on the inflation front. And then, of course, lingering in the background, some mixed signals around U.S.-China trade. On that note, let's take a look at U.S. markets and where things left 
left off last week. We saw all three major indices here hit fresh record highs. The Nasdaq gained about half a percentage point on Friday. The S&P 500 about a third of a percentage point and the Dow just a touch above the flat line, but clearly a positive week for U.S. markets. This week now we're going to look forward to uh, October CPI data coming through. Also retail sales and industrial production out of the U.S. And then finally also we're keeping a close eye on Jerome Powell's comments. He's going to be giving a closely watched testimony to Congress on the U.S. economic outlook later this week. Karen? Juliana, thank you. Well, speaking of the data, China's producer prices fell by the steepest rate in more than three years in October due to a weakened manufacturing sector and continued negative effects from the trade war with the United States. Meanwhile, CPI rose at the fastest pace in nearly eight years, boosted by a spike in pork prices as the country continues to grapple with an outbreak of African swine fever. President Trump has struck an upbeat tone on the state of trade talks with China. On Friday, Trump denied claims by China's Commerce Ministry that Washington and Beijing had agreed in principle to roll back tariffs if a phase one deal is signed. However, on Saturday, he said negotiations are progressing. They're moving along. Uh, They're moving along. They've moved slowly and not much too slowly for me. Uh, But they want to make the deal much more than I do. But the trade talks with China are moving along, I think, very nicely. If we make the deal that we want, it'll be a great deal. And if it's not a great deal, I won't make it. But uh, the trade deal is moving along and China wants to be there. Let's come back to our conversation with Andrew Collier, who is Managing Director at Orient Capital Research. Andrew, thank you for staying with us. We were just talking about uh, some big macro effects, and I think investors are very much closely watching the Chinese numbers lately. But thrown into the mixed trade, and I saw one commentator compare it to Brexit today, the ongoing stop-start process around Brexit now starting to spill across to this trade dispute as well. That on top of uh, other developments, do you think there's just too many effects for investors to weigh up on the Chinese economy at this point. What would you say about the appetite for investing directly there in the mainland market? Well, you've raised some very good points. I mean, you've got a lot of global uncertainty with Brexit. You've got the trade war. You've got the uh, debt bubble in China. And yet there's a lot of cash that continues to move in, uh, both with the uh, mainly with the indexes. The MSCI is, is going to increase its weighting. You've got the Bloomberg Barclays uh, bond index. It's going to increase its weighting to 6%. So a lot of investors sort of feel like, well, they have to be in China. And the other point is that um, the existential question of whether China is going to have a crash has been around with us for 10 years. And it's sort of like the the guy who cried wolf. After a while, um, you know, there's no wolf in the door. China has not collapsed. So uh, I think that there's going to be a lot of movement of capital into China. And and they're going to be fairly positive that the government is going to ensure that they're going to get paid back. You just uh, returned, Andrew, from Washington, D.C., and I'm curious on that point about uh, the uh, concerns being you know, persistent around a crash in the Chinese economy. Uh, how much of a worry is the domestic downturn in China to U.S. Uh, policymakers and the U.S. administration at this point? Well, the administration, I mean, obviously there's different factions within uh, the, the uh, organs of government. Um, I mean, the White House has, has its own way of doing its decision making. But within the bureaucracies that, who I spoke to who were quite influential, uh, they're very concerned about a potential for a crash in China, particularly for the reasons that all this uh, Western money is starting to go in there. I mean, if you have a decline uh, uh, from growth of 6%, if you believe the numbers, to you know, zero or negative two, which is quite possible, or negative five, that would have a huge impact on uh, commodity prices globally. 
It would have an impact on some of the trade linkages that are now being switched over from China to Vietnam and to other areas. And it would have certainly an impact on the equity and bond markets. So uh, the, uh, some of the uh, better informed economists in the U.S. government uh, are looking very intently at this. Uh, but the, you've got the parallel situation with investors saying, gee, it's a big economy and it's growing at 6%. And then the White House itself, which is essentially trying to move in its own trajectory. So it's quite a confusing picture. Ask you directly about technology then, because there is a view that China is racing ahead with its tech ambitions, despite the fact this trade war is persisting. We've seen it with the rollout of 5G. You've seen it with so many startups and and big companies growing. I mean, Alibaba, for instance, and even the challenges now coming thick and fast to the door of Alibaba. Where does it leave the tech ambitions if we continue to see pressure on the Chinese economy? Because elsewhere, you've got to say there's been pressure now on funding other tech names in the West. So do you think China still manages to keep on growing at the same pace in technology? Well, technology is extremely important to China for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's the Xi Jinping narrative that he wants to see China as a global tech leader. But more importantly, um, they were able to, the country was able to go from essentially a fairly uh, low tech environment to a place where Alibaba is now generating uh, you know, a huge amount of sales and online uh, stuff. So the domestic area is, I think, fairly safe from the global issues because it's a domestic economic consumption. The real concern is the hardware side of things, like the 5G uh, equipment, which is a, a very large market. That is an area where China is facing significant headwinds uh, from the Europe and the United States, not, not just the United States. And uh, plus, Xi Jinping pushed way too hard on China, made in China 2025, with this whole ambition to become sort of the new uh, global leader in, in technology. And as a result of that, he kind of overreached uh, the banks spent a lot of money, and now there's a huge pullback. Uh, Tsinghua Uni Group, which is part of the university, is now facing some uh, financial problems because they put too much money in too many tech, uh, bu- you know, bubble uh, companies. So there's a kind of a split between the services side, which I think is going to do fine, and the hardware side globally, which is going to face a lot of issues. And I was in Sweden a few months ago, and they're salivating at the pro- prospect for Ericsson to take market share from Huawei. So uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, problems that China's going to face on that end. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.